0: So here goes. Um, this, these questions are a little bit in regards to serving. And just so you know, the panel of speakers, Pastor P, Pastor Eric, and Pastor Gabby, they will all take turns answering the questions. They might all answer one question. Um, I think they have great diverse insight. So the questions won't be limited just to the person who spoke on that topic. All right. So on the topic of serving, first question. How do I continue serving even when I feel burnt out and no joy in it? Feels more like I'm doing it just to do it. They're a tough questions, so we're going to get real deep, real fast. Um, so we'll just give that a second.
1: You know, I, I'll, I'll say this that if your car is running out of gas, there's a reason that you need to put something in. Yeah. And that's the important thing is just because you're serving doesn't mean you've got to give out and give out and give out. You've still got to get in. And you've still got to be in service. You've still got to be in the word. You've still, because here's what I look at it. Every ser- Sunday I serve. I preach every Sunday. I minister. We're serving people all the time. So people say, oh, I'll burn out if I do that. No, the reason why you don't burn out is because you don't allow that to be Sorry. the only Opportunities of your life. I've got to fuel my life so I can give through my life. So, what I would say to people if you're facing burnout, ministry to me energizes me. It pumps me up. If I'm serving people in energy, it doesn't burn out my life. Why? Because I've got something in reserve to give to people. So, first, I would say is this you build and work on your relationship with God. You've got to have fuel in your tank. And the second thing I'd say is, what's the motive of why you are serving? Because if the motive is wrong, then you're not going to get the return and the reward for why you're serving. And realize it's not that I have to do this, but I get to do this. Yeah, right.
2: yeah. That's And I, the only thing that I would say to that absolute agreement, checking the motive, checking the source of your affirmation. Are you being affirmed through how you're serving and the response that you're getting, the feedback that you're getting through that service, or are you being affirmed first and foremost from the vertical relationship of God Almighty as a son and a daughter of a living God? Because if you're constantly pulling down from that and feeding from that, it'll, it'll keep you in
0: line. That's really, that's really good. All right. Next question. Where and when do you draw the line with others in ministry between giving grace and holding people accountable to a standard?
1: Well, I guess where you draw the line is, it's not what I think, it's what God's word says. So I've got to look at that because I tell my leaders all the time that we've got to watch that we're not leading people by our opinions. Mm. And our feelings, because let's be honest, if a husband and wife come to us for counsel and then they're asking, it's so easy for us to hear her story about what he's not doing. So it's easy for us to say, man, yeah, he's a jerk, but we haven't heard the whole story. So what we've got to be very careful, I think, in our life is that we're not basing our counsel and our wisdom on just the story and the opinion of us. But we're taking everything into consideration and we're realizing biblically what's at hand And then we're looking and then given grace according to what God's word shows us and what God's word tells us.
3: That's good. I agree. And I think one of the things, too, is how we look at people, you know, and and how we deal with them. Because when you look at them through the eyes of God, you obviously see them differently, right? So I have a tendency to deal with people that are the most difficult and most challenging for me. And I look at them as POWs, prisoners of war. Right. And so if you've ever heard that term, it's for people who are trapped behind enemy lines. Right. And who need to be rescued. So you develop that mindset where you say, you know, this is not first of all, you're made in the image of Christ. Right. So the real attack is not on you. You know, and if we don't personalize those things and we really look at people in their vulnerable state, look at them through the eyes of Christ. We also we're not we're looking beyond. We're seeing the need right? Because usually there's an outward expression of an inward struggle. So when you're dealing with people who have inward struggles, those things will show up right? And so when you begin to deal with people at their need, you begin to deal with them more sensitively and when you look at them as a prisoner of war and you are sitting at the feet of the master, you begin to develop battle tactics to be able to then receive instruction to go in and rescue them from enemy lines. So that's very important I think when you're dealing with people you deal with them on that level to say I look at you through the eyes of Christ and because I do, I understand what's here. This is not a battle against flesh and blood but it's a battle against principalities and because it is grace was given to me i will extend grace right because you can't give what you don't have right and if you've received grace then grace has to be extended and always look at people when you deal with them and look at them and see their need as opposed to what it is that's going on because when you look at people in the need you begin to see what's going on on the inside and what's bubbling over and what needs to be addressed Amen. amen
2: And real quick, the only thing I would add to any of these excellent answers is, is that it's not our standard, it's his standard. It is Amen. the word of God. So, And um, the grace given to us, we, none of us deserve the grace that was poured
0: out upon our lives. But
2: uh, thank God he had grace and mercy on us. Amen.
0: I wanna take that question just one step further. I don't have an index card for my question, but what would you say to the person, because that obviously came from someone who might be in like a leadership position over individuals who they need to hold accountable to a standard. Now, what would you say to that person who the standard is, they're being held to the standard, and it might be difficult for them to receive correction, or how do they deal with the feelings that come in, that get involved when someone says, hey, here's the standard, this is what we're doing, and we have to address this? What would you say to that person so they don't fall off the face of the earth because of situations like this?
2: If uh, it's someone in leadership, um, what, what I can say is that there's a standard. Standard's the word of God. There's a grace of God. We can also frustrate the grace of God. God is very gentle in how he corrects. When he starts correcting, he will come in a whisper. Daughter, son, there's something you need to do to correct yourself. If you are in leadership, he holds us to a higher standard. Your sin will eventually find you out. I believe that the Holy Spirit comes gently at first to correct. He knocks on you, talks to you privately in prayer about it, and then he gives you little gentle hints and As you're going along and stuff, you may hear a word of correction come from the pulpit or come from the friend. They don't even know that they're talking to you because they don't know the situation. If you walk long enough in that sin without adhering to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you might find it splashed across the front page. So all I can say, and we've seen it time and time again in the body of Christ, so all I can do is beg you, please don't. Please stop. Please let's hold each other accountable in the love and the mercy of God. That spirit of truth, let's get on it here and now before it does become the next headline splashed across the newspaper.
3: You know, in Thessalonians, it talks about coming and speaking, 1 Thessalonians, and and encouraging and also telling. Sometimes it's difficult because we're in that position where you can't tell someone what their itching ear wants to hear, but you need to speak the truth. And I always say to our congregation, the reality is this. You know, you can ignore the elephant in the room, but the elephant will not be ignored. It will make itself known at some point, right? So it does have to be addressed, right? But it's all in the approach and in the delivery you know Jesus had to de- deal with some pretty heavy situations right but in his delivery and in his approach it always brought people back to that place it always pointed to the cross it always pointed to the greater purpose it's to save it's to sanctify it's to to make you right make you whole if you come in the best interest of people and it's not more of an accusatory approach where you're messed up but listen I love you this is practical it may not be it's practical but powerful how I many of you know that there's are those things that it's practical sometimes you get people say well i need to go pray on that and i need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights and there are some things that are just in your face real practical and it's in all about your approach if you come in the best interest of that individual that you're addressing because things do need to be addressed and dealt with they can't be overlooked because as i said the elephant in the room will make itself known you have to address it in the best interest because there's collateral damage So if you're not careful and you don't address things, then it can impact the ministry. It can impact the church. And so it's critical and important that you do deal with those things in the most sensitive um, light possible. It's critical. It's important.
1: Grace is not a license to sin. Thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy. But it doesn't mean I can just keep living how I want and keep saying, well, God, it's like pastor said, we can frustrate the grace of God. And I know that's a whole other message. But neither is grace a doormat where people can just walk all over you. When you set the standards, if people don't want to adhere to those standards, you can't force them in those, but you can hold them accountable to those. And I know like in our leadership and with people who are involved, we ask people to sign a covenant. We ask people to sign something. And as a part of being on our creative teams or whatever team, here's what you'll agree to the fact of standards of life. And we're not trying to lead people into bondage. Those things that we're itemizing down are what we believe is Christ-like behavior for a child of God. So if someone's going to, constantly come against those and bash them we don't just say grace and we don't just let it go sometimes we have to say you need to sit for a few moments you need to just sit down and just realize the privilege it is to serve but in that time they're not off the team come on you think about it in the the thoughts of a sports analogy if someone's injured they don't put them off the team that just means they're not on the roster to play the game they 're still on the team they're still the, they 're still in the meetings they 're still in the huddle they 're still in the locker room they 're just not the, they 're they're not on the field they 're on the sideline. They may have to be sent away sometimes to get special help, but they 're still part of a team so we don 't just cut people off and drop them we still try and speak into their life. but there is a time that if people are not going to, then there is a time sometimes we have to say we 've drawn the line. Enough is enough. If you want to behave like that, then listen, we love you, but we're not going to condone that. When Jesus caught, or the lady was brought to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus loved her, but he never condoned her actions. Because Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, but he says, go and sin no more. more." He set the standard of grace. It's not just license to sin. So I would say that, you know, we can't be afraid to, to say, listen, here's the line, and if you aren't going to keep where everyone, we're living there. We're not asking you to do something we're not doing ourselves. And I think if people are going to go outside of that, we meet the need. What's the need? We talk about it. We address the elephant. So we, and if there's still differences in that, then maybe there needs to be a little bit of a separation so we can get you the healing, the help, and the guidance that you need to move forward. So I hope that helps.
0: That was good. All right, the next set of questions. A lot of questions on children, the rulers of the world.
1: <laughs> Don't have any.
0: <laughs> oh. um, one of the first, a big question, that, a reoccurring question, I should say, is how do you deal with children after divorce in respects to a child that might be spending time in a a household that is not Christian, that does not go to church, or dealing just with a child that spends either half their time or the majority of their time in a household that is not serving the Lord? How do you deal with that?
1: I can talk from experience just quickly on that. I went through a divorce uh, 14 years ago, and I I know what it was to go through that. Um, I know the different standards of the home and the different things that were allowed, And what you've got to understand is this. We can't judge kids. The kids are the innocent ones in that situation. And kids are always going to go to the place where they've got more liberality and they've got more freedom and they're going to do. And the parent who is involved in that is then going to use that against you to say, see, they don't love you. They don't care for you. They don't want you. And it beats you up. So then what you try to do is you then have a choice. I either stay where I'm at and my kids don't like me. Or I become likable to my kids and I compromise my standards. And I realized in my life I had to come to a place where it wasn't a case whether my kids liked me or not. I had to live by a standard. And even when my kids didn't want to come to me at times, I had to turn around and say, listen, court ordered, they're going to be with me. Now, I didn't make it a prison camp, but they knew the standards and the the rules of what was going to be because I didn't want to change that just to try. And what I found is it was tough for a while, but now what happens is this. My kids love me. My kids want to be around me now. They appreciate and they realize that dad even having an opportunity to speak against mom. He never said a bad word. He never cut down to try and make himself look good. He just kept being consistent in who he was. And then as a result of that now, they see now the error. And thank God, my ex-wife and situations are different now and she's in church and everything's going and thank god god healed all that and healed the relationship that we have and just everything but god did that because i believe that i said no this is the standard i'm going to live by god's word because i'm telling you right now if you hear nothing else from anything today if you think you're going to make yourself look good by putting down the other parent, shame on you Because your kids are going to disrespect you. They're not going to love you. And when they realize the situation, they're going to realize you're the fool and not the other person's the fool. You be the bigger person in every situation. So, yes, it's tough. It's tough when you're releasing them into environments and you don't know where they're at and you don't know what they're doing. But you do know what you can do in those times. You can pray for them and you can be that constant support and that anchor and that place where they can come through. And I just know in my experience that my ex-wife, after all the trouble that we had gone through, one day picked up the phone and said, Listen... I want to do whatever you want to do for our kids. You tell me because I realize our kids are teenagers now. They're getting out of control. They need your stability. They need your guidance. You tell me what and I'll apply those rules in my house. Think about what would happen if I had compromised. Who could she have picked up the phone and called? Because I would have been in the same level as her. So again, it's tough. But we're not. Here's what I'll say and then I'll let them answer. Don't. Govern and make decisions on your life of where you're at. Make decisions for your life and your family of where you want to be. You may not be there right now, but I'm making decisions where I want to be and that's what you've got to constantly think in your life.
3: I don't have kids. I'm taking notes.
0: <laughs> its just piggyback on that a little bit. Um, what do you do when you have older children who choose not to cho- to serve the Lord? They no longer live with you because of those choices, the lifestyle they choose. And now that child is in need of a home, in need of a place to go, but still chooses to do what they want to do and they don't want to serve the Lord. What advice would you give to a parent who's saying, where do I draw the line between Holding them accountable and trying to push them down the right path, but also not forcing their hand.
1: Let me share again, um, just to be transparent. Just to be transparent with you all, um, three weeks ago, one of our children did exactly what you said. Um, these last three weeks have been the hardest weeks of Kelly and I's lives. We are broken-hearted. We are devastated. Our 20-year-old daughter says, "I don't like your rules. I want to leave." I'm tired of everything and walked out of our home. Our other younger children, brokenhearted. Why didn't you stop? Or they don't understand. It's like a death in our family. And um, okay. You're good. You're good. you then got to lean on the fact that you've brought them up different. Yes. So with that, when she walks out and says, "I don't want to be a part of it," and I want to go out. Thank God her situation, she had an uncle that she's moved in with that's kind of semi-decent, I mean. But what do you do with that is, we told our daughter this. I'm just letting you into our world. We told our daughter this. If you want to leave our home and rebel against our authority, then hey, we're paying your phone bill to the end of the month. But by the end of the month, if you want to be a big girl and you want to go out on, on your own, then hey, your cell phone... It needs to be taken out of our name, and you need to get your own. we are paid your car insurance through the end of the month, but we're not going to keep paying. By the way, your college that we're paying for, we're not going to pay that no more. Now, you may say that's really tough, and I don't believe. No, because what we're saying is this. If you want to go out and live your own life, you've got to live the consequences of that decision for your life. Because we told her, if you want to stay here, we'll keep paying your college, we'll keep paying your insurance, we'll keep paying your cell phone, we'll do everything. We, we don't charge you to stay in the house, the groceries. We'll take care of it. If you want to be here, we'll take care of you. But if you're saying you don't want to be a part of our lives, then we're doing you a disservice by, what should I say, financing yes. a lifestyle in a way that we don't agree with. And so we've told her, you're always welcome back in this house anytime that you want. You can come here anytime. You can come and eat with us. You can come here anytime you want. But the only way that you're going to step back through those doors and move back into this house is only, again, by the rules of this house and what we stand for. And anything outside of that, we're not going to open our doors and just let you come back. And I'm telling you, that's one of the toughest things that we've ever had to do and still doing. But. We made a standard and said, as for us and our house, we're going to serve God. And we're going to be what God wants us to do. And, 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 you know, she's gone and told everyone. She's gone and told everyone that we've forsaken her, that we've turned our back on her, which is not true. And she's been upset with her brothers and sisters because they don't want to talk to the little ones because they don't understand how to fix the emotions of it all. And they they just don't like her because of what she's done. And they've blamed her. Well, why are you pushing me out of my life? And we've told the little kids, no, you're not pushing her out of your life. She chose to walk out of our lives. We still love her. We're still here. We're going to embrace you. But listen, we're not going to condone the decisions that you make. Here's the standards. We're going to pray for you. And when you're welcome to live by those already, then you're welcome to come back to Father's house. Come on. The prodigal son, he rejected the Father's house. And he went, listen, the Father didn't go looking for his son. The father looked every day for his son, but he didn't go to try and rescue him from where he was at. He stood in his place and he prayed for him and trusted. Why? Because if the prodigal son had not come to his senses, he would have never been able to come home. And if he would have come home, he would have come home not ready to receive father's hats. So we have to pray and constantly watch and have the door and everything. But yet we've got to guard our hearts and say, no, this is the standard. And it's tough. It's tough to say that to your kids. Because what if we said, okay, your curfew can be this and this and this. No, we're compromising what we believe. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a curfew at midnight for young people today. Look at me all you want. There's nothing to do after that. Well, all my friends are out there. Yeah, because their parents don't care about them. And I'm not judging other parents. I'm just just laying it out. And I know I've taken too long, but I'm talking again from experience here. It's not an easy decision, but it's a decision that I need God's back. I need God's help. I need God's support. And if I stand on God's side, I'm going to get his backing and I'm going to get his help. And God gave me a promise and Kelly a promise that God was going to take care of our kids. And so when people now are aware of this and social media and everything, it's just been a big deal because everyone knows the business and everything. We just look at people and say, our daughter's just working on her testimony right now because she's going to be back.
2: You know, there's, there's just a word that I, I'd like to speak uh, to you, Pastor P, and to, to your heart, peace to your heart. I would have gone exactly there with the prodigal. That father released in love. That father bore the pain of that child going out and in, in, um, experiencing the consequences. But that father released in love, in faith, making a way for that child to come home and yeah. be healed. And I had the, the privilege of working with uh, very closely on a leadership team with the pastor from Bogota, Colombia. The ministry has probably led millions, millions now to the Lord. And when God was raising him up, there were 31 in his family. And he used to pray for those 31 every day and try to hold on to every single one because they were not yet in the kingdom. And God came to him and spoke very clearly. He says, son, at this point, you need to release them. I have heard your prayers. I have heard everyone. I have them guarded right here. The seeds that have been deposited in your daughter's heart, and in her life will bear fruit. She is just working on her testimony, but the very word of God is living on the inside of her. Those words will come to bear. She is working on her testimony, but when she comes back, oh, glory. Come on. When the prodigal came back. home there was an instant promotion and your love is paving the way for the instant promotion she's moving closer to her destiny not farther away sir she's moving close
0: this is so hard (laughs) i don't even cry and i just want to cry up here um Okay. Next questions. The group of questions is based on blended families. Um, Some questions about. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) We're coming for you, Eric. (laughs) Don't worry. Okay. So, some questions including: How do you deal with children after divorce? How do you deal with blended families? And specifically. When you have children from a previous marriage and now you're remarried again, how do you make sure that your kids don't feel excluded or on the, second, on the back burner, I guess you could say? And how do you make your fo- spouse feel um, also as important? And how do you deal with issues where stepmoms and stepdads are bumping heads with children? So that's a a lot, but...
1: let's go. Yeah, just tell my life. Um, We're a blended family. Kelly has three children. Um, When you're talking about step-dads in that situation, our children do not have one. Their dad was killed in a car accident. So that has made it easier to parent them because I am now their parent and their dad. So that was easier in that. I have two girls... Um, Kelly has two girls and a boy, and then we have one together. So it's mine, yours, and ours. We've got a a, a mix of family. But I would say this, and Kelly would say this too. um, I don't like to use the word fight because that's just too broad a way, but probably the, the easiest way that Satan can come in and cause a disagreement in our home is just over our children. And just the fact of. Um, just the discipline and the correction and just different things and the struggle is this and you have to find that balance and work through it's not one of those things that I could say do this, do this, do this because every child is different in the discipline they require first and foremost you can look at one of your children in a stern way and they will break and melt and you have to almost beat one of your kids before you can get you know what I'm saying it's just kids, kids, kids are different with that You know, some people need a strong hand some people just need a look So with that, it can be different. But one thing that I would say is this. It's so important. The most vital thing in raising a blended family is this. Husband and wife, mom and dad have to be on the same page. You have to be there. You have to be in agreement. And with being on the same page, here's what I would say. You're not always going to agree. Kelly may not agree with every way that I discipline the children. I may not agree with how she does. But being on the same page, we support each other in that. And if we have a problem, we have a question. We don't take it up in front of the kids. It's behind closed doors that we take it out together because we're not undermining each other's authority and position in front of the kids. And kids will always try and push to the limit. Kids will try and fight you against each other. Anyone seen that movie, Mine Yours and Ours? That was a a movie where the kids... Just didn't want, they didn't like each other. Thank God my kids like each other and they get on well with each other. But again, I believe the parents set the standard for that. I believe if the parents do everything they can to to work with that, there may be some efforts and struggles, but you can work through that. But those kids just didn't like each other, so they came together as an agreement and said, let's do everything we can in the movie to divide mom and dad. So they did everything they could to aggravate, but what they found is, in their struggle of coming together, they, they fell in love with each other. And through their struggle, they realized they really did care for each other. And it didn't divide mom and dad. It brought them all together. Now, I know that's a movie. But what you've got to watch is you've got to watch because kids will do everything they can to try and divide you as parents. And a divided front is never going to last. You've got to be united on the front. Yes, it's tough. One of the things, that still breaks my heart. My two girls are 22 and 18. It still breaks my heart when I have to drop them off at home or I stand in the driveway and I see them drive off and I'm not going to see them again for another three, four days. It still breaks my heart. It's still, even at that age, it's tough for me. But what I've got to do is I've just got to make sure that the opportunities that they are with me, and when they're not, I try to text my girls as much as I can. I try to do it every day, and I don't always get a response from them. But I still, I send it out. And I just try to let them know every day that even if they're not in my home, I still love them. And and there are times when they're felt, and and I know Erin can testify to this because she's very close to my two girls. I know there's times when they feel excluded from things, but that's because when we plan stuff or when we have, they're supposed to be gone away with their mum doing something, and if their plans fall through, it's not that we were making plans without them. We made plans because they had other plans. So there are some things where things interact and cross over. But what I would say to that is blended families are hard but they're not impossible and the standards again of your house versus another house may be different but going back to the next question you've got to have the standards when they come to your house this is who we are here's what we are do whatever you can to make it comfortable for each other and to make it a good place where they can come in to get them involved we we like to do family vacations at least twice a year where we all go together we went away for the summer. And we went to Georgia and we, we had a good few days all together. We went whitewater raft and we did things just to build team spirit and just to rally together and, and just things like that. Um, we went to Disney last summer and just took them all and we just had a blast with that. So we tried to create an environment where we can get them all alone and just really invest and make memories together that can really help them. But step parents, step things, they can be trouble too. But again, that's why you've got to push your feelings aside and you've got to sit down with whoever those parents are and say, listen, this is not a time for us to fight against each other. We're destroying our kids. So how can we too be united outside of this home and what can we agree with and what we can do just to see the blessing of our children? So I hope that helps. And again, please, if you, those of you who do have this and if I can help in any way, Um, please, um, Felipe, different ones, I'll give you my email address. I would love just to talk with you, my phone number, whatever, and we could just chat and hang out and I can steer you in any way I can possible because, um, you know, being through this gives you a greater compassion for people who are going through it. And it's not easy, but it's not impossible. And thank God for that. And our kids fight just like siblings i mean they just i mean i fought with my sister and you're going to have different that's just kids you're not going to have a perfect home kids are not perfect you weren't perfect and so that's what i would say
0: wow that's really good all right um another question on children how do you teach your children to be pure when you were not pure
1: how do i preach the word of god when I've failed in it in so many areas show me one thing in God's word that I can preach that I haven't sinned and fallen in and that's the truth of our lives we can look and say you know what learn by the examples of my life and I think that we shouldn't have shame in our testimony we should use our testimony and say listen I made the wrong decisions and wrong choices but you don't have to go down at that you don't shy away from it you're not ashamed of it you use it To say, I've been there, I know exactly the pressures, I know the struggles, and I fell victim to it, but you don't have to. So don't ever be ashamed of that. Use that as a tool to say, hey, you can be pure. Kelly and I, just quickly, when we got married, we had been married before, both of us, okay? When we got married before, or when we got married, we stood at the altar and gave our hearts and gave ourselves to each other as virgins to each other. We committed to the fact, and it would have been so easy for us, we've got kids, we'd be married just to have an intimate relationship. No. And the reason why we did that, not just because we wanted to honor God with that, but the reason we did that was because we could sit down with our kids and say, when we got married, we were sexually pure. And in a world where people are saying you can't be pure, by our example, look, you can do it too. So again, that's kind of twofold, that through your purity now, you can be an example to them. But through your failures and your mistakes, you can still show them that's not the way that you can go. And now you're talking from firsthand experience because you know what it was to have those things and to be a part of those and not to do those kind of things.
2: For them to learn to run into the arms of a loving father and cry out for the Holy Spirit to strengthen them in the midst of temptation. Amen.
0: All right, some questions on households. I think that's my daughter. <laughs> um, how do you? It is. How do you continue being the head of a household? When your spouse does not respect you,
3: I'm going to be your co host.
2: Okay, all right. Well, see, I don't know if this question is hedged a little because you said head of household. So I'm not sure if you're coming from tradition or not. So do we want to deal with head of household first? Hey,
1: what I say this is, if you want to be respected, you've got to give respect. And giving respect is tough when someone that you need to give it to doesn't almost deserve it. Let's just be honest. They don't deserve it. One of the greatest things that we learned in a marriage course that we did, love and respect, was this. I give to them not what they deserve, Deserve, but what they need. So all you can do is you can't force someone to respect you. You can't be a Hitler in your home. Um, You've got to put your house in order and you've got to be the priest as a father and as a husband, as the head of your house. But you've got to start looking at yourself and ask yourself, I think, some questions. Why do they not respect me? They cannot respect you because of the standards you live by, as in high standards, but they can also not respect you because of the compromising standards that you're living by. So I think, first and foremost, you've got to look internal before external. Instead of demanding something, look and see what you're presenting and you're offering to them. So you've got to look at your own life and say, what God needs to change in me, how can I be the priest and the head of my home? And you've got to love them and you've got to respect them despite their behavior and what they deserve, and you've got to keep meeting their need. And when you do that, I'm not saying it's going to bring immediate results, but when you do that, you're going to see results, trust me, you're going to see results. And you've got to be faithful, you've got to be committed, and you've got to keep on giving and keep on giving, because if you haven't arrived there yet, you never will if you stop. So yes, it's tough, especially as a man, because we need that respect. So when we feel a wife is not giving that to us, it crushes us. It deflates us. We feel like so undermined. And, but you've got to push away that macho image. And you've got to see that other person as Christ. And you've got to start handling them as Christ. And speaking to them and loving them as Christ. And what did Christ do? Christ loved them so much, He gave His life for them. He laid down everything. So I would just say that, you know, yes, it's tough and yes, it's hard. But start, again, not making decisions of where you're at, but start making decisions where you want your home to be. And if you would do that, you're going to start earning respect. You're going to start getting respect. And if they choose not to respect you, let it be because you haven't done everything within your power to be the man and the priest and the father that you need to be in your home.
2: Amen. Amen. And, and for the wife on that side, if you're not being loved in the way that you believe Christ would love the church or Christ would love you, you've got to, when there is a work in process, a sanctification work in process in your home, you need to partner with the Holy Spirit like no one's business. First, the spirit of truth taking any log out of your own eye before you go to the speck in your brother's. But when there is, and there are legitimate offenses that happen all the time, the thing that I'm reminded of the most, and I'm not see, I'm not advocating in any way spousal abuse or anything else. But Smith Wigglesworth, to most of you, do, have you heard of him? His story touches my heart like no one's business. His wife was saved first. His wife loved him. And served him. She cooked for him all the time. But there was an evangelist in town. And so, and I hope I'm not messing up this story. It's been so long since I've heard it. But there was an evangelist in town. And she wanted to go and hear and receive. And so this this happened for a couple of nights. She would prepare his dinner. Honey, do you want to go? No, 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 no. It got to the end of it. And Smith said, if you walk out of this house tonight, I do not want you to go. If you walk out of this house tonight, I will not let you back in this house. She prayed about it, and she said, I am going to obey my conscience before the Lord, and I'm going to go. And she prepared this beautiful meal for him and laid it on the table, loved him, and respectfully walked out of the house. That night when she came home, the door was locked, and it was bolted. And she fell asleep there all night long, leaning against the door. And in the morning when Smith got up and opened that door, Her crumpled body fell inside of the doorway into the floor. She had a choice. She had rights. She could have pushed those rights before God and she could have pushed them before her husband. Instead, she went into the kitchen. She fixed him breakfast. She laid it on the table. And she made a decision to love because she was strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And the rest is history. That man broke in the presence of love and grace and God, and gave his life to God Almighty. And then thousands and thousands and thousands were saved and healed. So sometimes we have a choice, and you need to partner with the Holy Spirit. Do I, do I go and fight for my right and what I deserve? If we huh, got what we deserve, none of us would be here. But we got we to gotta work with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm angry. I'm mad. It was wrong. Help me right here. Help me to fight. And I always talk about fight for the God response. Don't put your response out there first, but wait a minute and say, God, is there another response that is coming up within me now that might be more honoring, that might yield more fruit in the lives of those whom we really, because we're really talking about people whom we love with all of our hearts, even through the difficulty.
0: We're going to go into some of the intimacy questions. Okay, first one. I told you we're going to go real deep real fast. (laughs) When you've done things in your past that you can't even confess because it breaks you so badly, how do you get to a point of intimacy with the Lord where that burden of guilt can be lifted? Is there a process that you have to go through before that burden can actually be removed?
2: Yeah, I'd say that burden again is the spirit of truth, man. There's nothing that you can say that he hasn't heard over and over again. And guess what? He already knows. He He, he already knows. And he knew that we were going to do it before we even committed that sin. And you know why? He already went ahead of you. That's why he hung on the cross. That's why he hung on the cross because he knew that we were going to sin that way. Come on, if I but children are so dear to me that I could be so messed up in my mind and I could blame it on a thousand other things. I came from a messed up, dysfunctional home with abuse and guns and secrecy and this, that, and the other. So what? I made the decision ultimately. To have a child aborted. So yeah, I could sit there and say, God, I could blame this on somebody else. And for all of the reasons and excuses, I signed my name on the line. But the bottom line is I stand before God as the one responsible. As the victim and the one who perpetrated a crime. And so... We need to forgive. Sometimes the hardest people to forgive is ourselves. But the sins that we retain, both the sins of somebody else, but also our own sins, if we retain those sins against ourselves, it creates a barrier to intimacy. And the Lord wants to get His cross right in there and break that barrier. To sh- your best friend is getting it out of your mouth. If you can't do it before God and yourself in the Holy Spirit, right then and there, find a trusted friend a pastor someone that's saying i need to receive i need you to receive my confession have them seal it one of the beautiful things about the tradition i'm in is that we do actually receive confession not to absolve it but so that people can unburden themselves in a safe place that we are actually sealed by our canonical laws that we can't even repeat what we have heard to another living person You need to have that kind of, you have it before the Lord. He's not even going to remember it. You should run to, if that, anybody sitting here tonight and you're dealing with that kind of guilt or shame. Shame is, I am bad. Guilt is, I did something bad. Both God wants to deal with. I would say, when you leave from here, run into the presence of God. I don't care if you go to the beach. I don't care if you go to a closet. I don't care. Run to him and say, God, I just want to unburden this. I want to confess, meet me at your cross. Let's get rid of this so that you can take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. And that's life and life abundantly, not death, not death. Let him separate that death off of you.
3: You know, I want to add to that. I, I think that, um, you know, one of the most beautiful things when you think of forgiveness and redemption and reinstatement and God calling was Peter when he had rejected Jesus And one of the most beautiful pictures you get is that even after all of this had transpired and he had rejected and he went back to his old occupation, he went back to what he knew. How many times when we feel like failures, we go back to the thing that once made us so comfortable, right, when we make mistakes. And he went back to what his trade was, and that was fishing. But I love it because there was Jesus on the shore, and he prepared a fire for him. And he invites him and he welcomes him to that place to warm his heart and to cook the food. And he's saying, I'm here because I love you. I'm here and I prepared a fire for you. I want to sup with you. You've rejected me. You've run away from me. You went back to what you knew. But yet my heart still beats for you. And I, I always encourage people to say, let God strum the strings of your heart. You know, even when you think of the Roman soldiers who came in the Garden of Gethsemane to take Jesus away, right, to have him be brought before Pilate. And, and, and Peter goes and cuts off the ear of that soldier, and Jesus goes and takes the ear, and he heals that ear and puts it back on. Can you imagine, like, Jesus, I'm backing you up. I got you. I got you. And you come out swinging the sword, and you're in on a business, and Jesus just shuts it down. And he's like, you know, this isn't what it's about. It's about healing. It's about redemption. Can you imagine Jesus can love a man, okay, heal the ear of a man who was to bring him before Pilate to see him be put on a cross, love him enough to heal him, how much more would he do for you? How much more would he love for you? He longs for you. Let him strum the strings of your heart. Amen. And then the next step is he
1: went to the cross. And what did he say on the cross? His last words, it is finished. He said, I've paid the price once and for all for anything. You see, like Pastor started with, there's nothing that you can say to God that's going to shock him. Yeah. Nothing that he doesn't already know. So to answer also the question that was said, what is the process? Is there a process? Yes, the process is this. Give it to God. Come on. Give it to God. And one thing I say to people all the time, if you're struggling with forgiveness for someone else, you're struggling with something in your life, I say to people, get like a little post-it or something. And write on there, on this day, I forgave myself, I forgave this, and I gave it to God. Amen. And when the enemy comes in and tells you you're not forgiven, just go back to that piece of paper and say, no, devil, you're a liar. Because on this day, on this day, because the enemy wants to bring that back up. And hey, when the enemy tries to remind you of, his, of your past, tell him about his future. So again, the process is you may not feel forgiven, and that's the problem. We don't feel forgiven. We don't feel worthy. But our forgiveness and our worthiness is not based upon our feelings. It's based upon the action of what he's done. And now we confess to that and give it to God. And the Bible says that when we confess that, we are forgiven. Our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. So it's not like, oh, he'll forgive that but not that. Well, this is great. No. Sin, period, is forgiven. We've now just got to learn to live in that forgiveness, because we're not like God. We don't forget those things. We remember those things, but we've got to remember them in a different light, not now as a bondage, but as a test that we're now using as a testimony.
2: Let me just add this to that, because uh, Pastor P just brought up a very good point. Emotions are not necessarily um, grounded in reality. Okay, so we have got to allow the word of God to be the truth and the reality. If you go to the movie and it's a sob right, you know, this, this sad story, somebody, little girl has, has passed away or this is how we're sitting there just bawling our eyes out at fiction. Yeah. But our emotions are engaged, but it's not real. Mm. So we have got to stop being informed by our emotions. Now, they can well, be useful in the hands of God.
3: I'm sorry, I have one more thing I want to just but tag But they're on not
2: necessarily that. the truth.
3: Amen. Uh, you know, we, a good book to read is The Relationship Principles of Jesus, and it really walks through relationships. And one of the things it says, your emotions aren't meant to destroy you, right? They're meant to direct you. We all deal with emotions. We all become upset. We all become angry at times. We're hurt. We become vulnerable. But they're not meant to destroy you. They're meant to direct you. How do you handle that? How do you deal with it? How do you address it? Are you going to allow it to destroy you? Are you going to allow it to take you out? Or are you going to allow it to reveal where it is that you are and what needs to be addressed either in your own life or in a particular situation? So I think a lot of times we can get caught up in situations where our emotions are kind of running high. And when we're dealing with them, we deal with them in our emotions and really don't take a step back and say, all right, God, you know what? Direct me on how to handle this because emotions are going to come and they're going to go. But you got to plan how to, those emotions are to be directed. How are you going to handle it?
0: Amen. I'm going to do one last question just because I feel like you should announce the last question. And <laughs> I didn't do that for the last one. Last question on intimacy. Um, and I'll try to group. There's like a few of these. What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where it's very difficult to hear from God? Whether it be dealing with do I end this relationship or not? Or you have a specific prayer petition before the Lord and you hear nothing to the point where it starts to make you question not only the relationship with the person or the situation but it makes you question your relationship with God. Is he really there? How do you handle situations like that?
1: Alright, first thing first thing I'll say and, and I'll try and make it quick is this. you got to look at yourself because there can be blockers of answers to prayer in our life. Sin can be a blocker of prayer. Unforgiveness can be a blocking of prayer. Um, Not treating our spouse and giving them the honor that they need can be a blockage of prayer because it talks about that in the Word of God. So we've got to look at our lives and realize that sometimes we can be the means that our prayers are not being answered. But there's a great book I read by Bill Hybels, Too Busy Not to Pray. And it's incredible. He talks about a prayer chart. He said that sometimes when we pray, God has to say, slow, grow, or No sometimes God has to say slow down you're going too fast and God says not now but maybe later or he says you've got to grow because you're not ready to get there and then sometimes God has to say no but then there's the other one that we all like the green light when God says go but what we've got to realize in prayer there's really four ways it can be handled and I will say this no is just as much an answer A lot of people pray, God, is this the person for me? And when they feel that God's not directing them in the way that they want to go, no is just as much an answer to prayer as anything. And many times I've realized that this, it's not a case that God's not speaking today because he still is. The problem is that we're not caring to listen because we want our way and not his way. So remember that when we pray, God is too loving to always say yes. And God sometimes has to say slow, grow, or no. In your life. Yeah.
2: And then uh, I would go back to the truth. God is always present. Amen. So I would get rid of that first lie. He's not here. He's not real. He's not around. He's not listening. He's not caring. Um, sometimes we're asking the wrong question. Right. And then sometimes we're asking a compound question <laughs> that he can't even answer. Lord, should I buy this house and have a baby? <laughs> Uh, So if I say, no, you shouldn't buy this house, does that mean that, no, you shouldn't have a baby either? But sometimes we need to back it up a step. God, slow it down. Don't compound it. Watch your will versus the will of God. And sometimes we need to allow him to lead. Sometimes prayer is a dance. And oftentimes we, we lead that dance. We, we put a, two hours to prayer and we talk the entire time. We've left no room for the Holy Spirit to lead us in the dance of God. And sometimes when you're just in praise and worship and allow his spirit to move and open up and start to hear him, you don't even have to ask him. He'll just give you the answer. It'll just fall right there. So.
0: Wow. Amen. Yeah. I feel like I just need like a deep breath. That was awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I know I can speak on behalf of everyone here when we say thank you so much for joining us this weekend. Thank you so much for your wisdom that you've poured out on us. Thank you so much for just preparing and planning and making the sacrifice to be here for us. We really, really appreciate it. Can I
1: say something just quickly before you close? Yeah. I'm telling you, I really believe God has given me a word for every one of you tomorrow morning. I really feel that. We're talking about positioning our lives for blessing tomorrow. That God has a blessing for every one of our lives. And the reason why many of us don't receive the blessing is because we're out of position. And so tomorrow, you need to get on the phone. You need to be calling, texting, inviting You need to pack out the Klein Theater. Let's open the balcony tomorrow. It's so full. Come on, come on. You need to get on there. And I don't say that lightly. I really believe God has given me a word for you tomorrow. You are positioned for a blessing. You are positioned for a blessing. So you need to be there tomorrow. I just
0: wanted to say that. Amen. Amen. At this time, Pastor Lewis is going to come up. He's going to close the service out. Um, Once again, if we could just put our hands